Hey everybody, welcome back. This is week three of our podcast, The Songs We Sing. Joined again, as always, by Sam Maxwell, our young adult ministry resident, and Charlie Woods, our contemporary worship minister. Good to see you guys again. Glad to be back with you on week three of our podcast. This has been kind of you fun. Too. Yeah, it's been a blast. I am particularly excited about today's song for sure. This one is a new one that I brought to the church too. You guys um, hadn't really heard it before, yeah? I had not. In fact, the first time I heard it was when you did it. And I don't remember if it was um, the week that I preached or it was right around that time. And I just remember hearing it and being like, yeah, this is a it great might have been. song. I, think I do know that it was a week that I was acoustic. I didn't have the band with me that week. Yeah. And I, I just remember being really moved by the words. And so we'll get into that. And we'll talk about it. And uh, we got a big surprise today for everybody, too. So be sure to stick around. Um, also, like I said, uh, I've been really overwhelmed with the response to the podcast. Everybody's been very gracious and kind and uh, said they've really enjoyed it. So it got me to thinking, um, Sam, Charlie, like what are your, besides ours, of course, like what are your can't miss podcasts if you have some or maybe you're not even a podcast listener on a normal normal basis um are we making money off of this show no we're not i, I wish <laughs> i wish we were but no, no uh one of mine is uh this cultural moment i think it's really cool it's a, a great one. it's a sociological approach to uh, christianity today and it kind of talks about not the magazine but just the current cultural worldly context of christianity um Kerry Newhoff, if you're into leadership stuff, he's a pastor in Canada. Um, a, uh, he does a lot of really mm -hmm. good um, leadership stuff, has a lot of people on his podcast all the time. Um, so that's a good one. Um, and there are a bunch of other ones, but those are kind of the two that I'll bounce back between either for my personal listening or things I'll listen to while I'm at work. Yeah. Nice. What about you, Charlie? It's a bit of a mix for me. I, I listen, I'm, actually kind of predictable when it comes to podcasts. I listen to a lot of musician stuff and gearhead stuff. Um, kind of figured. <laughs> but I will say there's a little there's a little doctrine in there. Um, love uh, Transformation Church. I've been a Transformation Nation member for a few years now, so I'm always listening to their podcasts if I'm not. It's essentially just their sermons. So if I'm not watching it on video, I'm listening to it there. I've listened to The Minimalist for a really long time kind of controversial a little bit but mm -hmm. kind of not i mean they're they're good good people and i like their message um I, a really great faith-based podcast that i've been loving is called encounter and essentially it's kind of like a meditation podcast but faith-based and it's christian it's it's uh, based on scripture and there's a few of them out there but i've really liked encounter because it's um the the two people oh i forget their names what are their names um i, I should I, I should have told you this question was coming you really know. should have john yeah, my bad what the heck uh but anyway the, it's a husband and wife ministry and the the wife leads a ministry called loop for women and then the the guy leads wired i think for men and um I think that's what it's called. But anyway, they team up to create this encounter podcast and it's not, they're not making any new episodes anymore, but they made a new one like twice a week for about a year. So I'm still going through their archive. Um, but it's essentially each one's about 20 minutes long and it's, they take time out of their day to sit and speak with the Holy spirit and kind of communicate with God 
And they really felt that this was a ministry on their hearts to tell others what, maybe from another perspective of a minister, what the Holy Spirit could be telling them. And um, it's really neat. It's a, like I said, it's very similar to like a meditation exercise, but it's entirely based on scripture. Hmm. Yeah. Interesting. And getting back to uh, Transformation Church, the name of the pastor there, I can't think of his name. Michael Todd. Okay. Yeah. 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 So mm-hmm. he's, he's great. He's a good follow on uh, Twitter or anywhere like that. Also. Oh, yeah. uh, so for mine, I would say I'm a big fan of anything the Bible project puts out. I tell people yes. that all the time and They're awesome. uh, just the particular um, approach that I take to interpreting scripture is, is very similar to the one that they take. And, and to me, it's the way scripture makes the most sense. Mm-hmm. So I always tell people anything they put out, uh, is great. Their videos are great if you go to thebibleproject.com. Uh, but they're, you know, I mean, they're eight to 10 minutes. They get into like some deeper dive kind of stuff on their on their podcast. And it's just a great way to learn how to read scripture, how to approach scripture. Um, another one that getting to kind of what Sam was talking about as far as how we engage with culture. It's called uh, The Holy Post. And it's by Phil Vischer and Sky Jathani and hmm. Christian. I can't remember her last name, but um, they just really kind of engage with, you know, what's, what's going on in culture and, and how does Christianity, um, you know, engage with that. Phil Vischer obviously is the guy who created the veggie tales, um, but it's very much not, it's not a child, <laughs> childish uh, podcast. They actually, it's very thought provoking. They have mm-hmm. a couple of great episodes that I would say are must listens. Um, one nice. was around Christmas time. Um, when Christianity Today came out with their controversial article on uh, Donald Trump, they actually broke down on their episode uh, kind of the difference between what they called Billy Graham evangelicalism and Bob Jones evangelicalism. And you'd have to listen mm. to it to kind of know, but it really gets into the history of just evangelicalism as a movement in society. And then they had another one that was really great uh, a couple of weeks ago. And then on the, you know, uh, not as much, Christian podcast side of things. I really like revisionist history by Malcolm Gladwell. Mm-hmm. He it's just takes, stuff. yeah, sometimes well-known his, uh, historical stories, sometimes not as well-known, but he'll, he'll just kind of go into a deep dive on some things. And he's just a really engaging storyteller and essayist mm. and that kind of thing. And then one that I've stumbled on that is a must listen to me for must listen for me right now. It's called uh, Zach to the future. And it is a, <laughs> It is a Saved by the Bell rewatch, mm. and oh, it man. is it is with Mark Paul Gossler, who played Zach Morris, and the a co-host, the guy that that if you've ever seen the Zach Morris is trash videos, uh, he the guy that made those teamed up with the guy that played Zach Morris, and they're doing this Saved by the Bell rewatch. It just started nice. a few weeks ago, and I stumbled <laughs> on it, and that is a if you know me, that was my show back in the day. <laughs> I'm dating myself, but, but yeah, so that's a, that's a must. So I, last night while I was perusing the interwebs, I saw that there's a internet petition. Um, I guess Disney is going to remake the home alone series. So the petition is Whoa. cast Macaulay Culkin as Macaulay Culkin and have everyone else in the movie treat him as a child, just to nice. relive the movie <laughs> as a child. It's ridiculous, but I think it would be hilarious. Maybe it's a, one of those funnier die skits. Um, I, that's, I've not heard that. That's mm-hmm. interesting. And everything's uh, getting remade, man. Nobody yeah. can cover original stuff anymore. And uh, even Say by the Bell's getting remade. 
and a uh, non-Christian podcast. Shout out to Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. Uh, watch, listen to it live on Saturday mornings or podcast. Support your local NPR. There you go. Oh, That's a good one. Yeah. Also, there's one called Every Little Thing mm. where I've gotten into. It's fascinating. Basically, people will um, write in a question. One I heard that I loved is, how did organs get associated with baseball games? You know, mm-hmm. like, like when did that oh, happen? Wow. And so yeah. they go into the history of organs and organs at sporting events and organs at theaters and organs in That's churches. Cool. Mm-hmm. Um, so every episode's like that. It's somebody asking a random question and they just get into it. And it's, it's, do you guys, what is it? What is it called? That what you're saying is reminding me. Um, I'm trying to think of his name, but his podcast is called let's know things. Wow. And I've never heard that. Like Colin Wright. Interesting. Colin Wright, if you heard of him, he was a blogger. He was like one of the first people to really usher in the minimalist movement, I should say. So it's it's non-faith-based, but it's very much the same kind of concept where essentially he he's a blogger and he was he was a blogger when like blogging was just starting to kick off. And um he's famous he's the for blogger. Yeah, he's the hipster blogger, but he he's famous for traveling the world in like a backpack and he like lived with he only had like 45 items that he'd owned in his life or something, something like that. And so he just started his podcast of similarly, someone would just give him a question or like something he's just curious about and talks about it. it there could be any given topic on any day. Interesting. Let's yeah. know things. You, so you're really into minimalism, huh? That's such a natural thing. Oh my. You got to be from natural. <laughs> So, well, let us know uh, in, in your comments, uh, you know, what, what are your favorite podcasts, your go-to podcasts? We'd love to know what y'all are listening to. Besides ours, of course, we know like we're at the top of your list. And it's, it's awesome. <laughs> so one thing uh, before, before we get into the, uh, the rest of the episode for today, I do want to just remind people, uh, you know, hey, we have th- some things going on this month in young adult ministry. Go to fbchsv.org slash young adults. Of course, Saturday night, this coming Saturday, August 15th, we are going to be at uh, Toyota Field, which is the Trash Panda Stadium for an outdoor movie night. The movie is The Lion King, the live action version, which isn't really live action because lions don't talk, but whatever. <laughs> um, we're going to be I haven't seen that one yet. Watching so that excited. one. It's pretty good. It's pretty good. Um, we're going to be there. And of course, registering through us is closed, but you can still get your tickets through trashpandasbaseball.com slash events. And they're 1050 for adults. Uh, so join us there. We'd love to see you. And then, of course, uh, we have an interest survey that that is uh, that is going around this month. And we'd love for all of our young adults to take take that for us. And you can find that link on that website as well and mm-hmm. or on our Web page. And basically, I'll tell you why we do this. It's for one thing, it's to gauge the interest of our young adults and things that we think we might do this coming year. So we kind of put everything on there that we're like we we think we might do this. And so one thing we do with that is we see how many people selected like, yes, I'd be interested in this. And it helps us kind of gauge, you know, popularity of things we might do. We also, you know, there's questions on there, like what are some things you'd be interested in studying this year? And so I'll take that and, you know, whatever Bible study class you, you select that you're in, like I'll just kind of give that info to your leaders and just say, here's kind of a rundown of what people who are in your group said that they'd want to study. Um, you know, there's things on there for like, if you'd ever be willing to read and worship or, you know, sing in the first fellowship band or, or play drums or guitar or whatever, like, you know, let us know. And, and I pass those things on to Charlie, to Billy and, and those sorts of things. And then 
obviously, you know, planning and events is a part of that as well. We have so many great young adults, great ideas. So many things that we have done in the past have come from our young adults making suggestions and, and saying, hey, I, I've got connections here, or I know a little bit about this or that, and, uh, and planning those things for us. And of course, we help you do that and, and equip you to do that. But um, really, you all have better ideas than I do. Uh, so uh, we'd love for your uh, cooperation in, in taking that survey and letting us know uh, what you're interested in and where you can where you can help us out. So that's it. Take the survey. All right. So we're going to dive into this week's song. And, and, you know, last week's song was a little bit older. It was 1,400 uh, years old. Uh, this one's more, I think, like four years old, maybe. So still um, pretty old not, then, right? Well, yeah. But, <laughs> In song yeah, world, kind of, sure. yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's true. So, But we do have um, some very exciting uh, news or uh, a very special item today. We're going to have the songwriter of this song or one of the songwriters. One of them, one of the two. And so... Mm-hmm. I'm going to admit him to the room. Charlie, why don't you tell everybody a little bit more about Michael as he's getting connected here? Yeah. So Mr. Michael Boggs, the infamous, um, (laughs) I feel like I should announce his like cultural and CCM history and career uh, before he does because he's too modest. There he is. Hey, Michael. Thanks for joining us. (laughs) Thanks for joining us, man. So I've been... um, delegated the task to tell our young people a little more about you. And my first initial thought is totally just pull the far from home card. Just totally pull the far from home card. (laughs) I feel as if you could actually tell us a little more about that better than I can. (laughs) Well, about a hundred years ago, I was in a band called... (laughs) (laughs) Um, no, it was it was really um, you know my entrance into music. So I went to a small little college in, in Oklahoma. Um, went there on a sports scholarship, um, and uh, somewhere in the midst of school, I discovered uh, guitar playing and singing. And uh, we didn't have a whole lot of worship leaders at the school I went to, and so I started uh, just started leading worship. Met FFH that way. Uh, they were unsigned, and not very many people knew of them. But one of the guys in the band was getting ready to leave. And so they said, hey, what about, you know, you being a part of this thing? Um, And so at 19 years old, I dropped out of college and and joined the band, the stuff that makes every parent super happy. Um, (laughs) And uh, and it wasn't long after that, though, that um, we had uh, already recorded some and and got signed by label. And so started touring and was gone, honestly, for like, it felt like the next eight years. (laughs) So yeah. Is uh, right around 200 days a year, Charlie. You probably know something about, uh, you know, just staying on the road all the time. And uh, but it was it was so fun, you know. I mean, just there's a season in your life where I feel like you get a chance to do that kind of thing, and you don't have a um, a whole lot of things to worry about. So it was. Uh, I was one of the uh, one of the four members of FFH, like I said, about 100 years ago. So. Yeah. So, and within that time, or a little, I don't, I'm not unsure of the overlap, but as far as I know, Michael Boggs, we actually um, have a friendship outside of, I guess I could say outside of music, but it's so integral as well. Uh, Michael Boggs was a part of the starting of the young adult ministry in Nashville, Tennessee called Kairos. And you guys hear me drop Kairos all the time. I love, Kairos is my favorite name to drop. Um, but yes, Kairos is something that I found as um, actually just a congregation goer and a congregation member. I was 
giving myself um, a hiatus and a sabbatical uh, on a personal level, had led worship for a few years in Donaldson. And within that year that I was taking a break, I found Kairos in Brentwood. And it's a young adult worship and Bible study ministry. And it was incredible. It changed my life. And Michael Boggs was the, is, and still is the worship pastor there. Um, but yeah, can you tell us a little more about how Kairos got started as well? Sure. Yeah. Um, you know, Kairos, when it started, was 30 people in a classroom uh, at Brentwood Baptist Church. And it was primarily started because uh, there were some young adults in the church that said, hey, we want to like some topics, some sermons, some moments that kind of focus on the things that we're dealing with the most. Um, and so started Kairos, 30 people. I was uh, part of the early um, version. FFH actually started leading worship there. Um, at, at some point. And so I was a part of that initial, um, you know, kind of foray into um, being a worship leader and a worship minister. Uh, and we found that after a while, I mean, it went from 30 people to 300 people within a couple of, a couple of months. And um, we thought, wow, there's something, there's something special happening here. About that time, Jeremy, who was in FFH, um, got sick. He was diagnosed with MS and basically said, I have to stop doing music and those things for a little while and undergo some chemotherapy. And so somehow I ended up on the board to try to find the next worship leader um, at Kairos. And out of necessity one night, they said, hey, Bob, can you do it? We don't have anybody else. <laughs> and I said, love being your last option, first of all. Second of all, <laughs> um, uh, sure, I'll absolutely do it. Um, and, I, uh, and I did, and that was... Uh, I believe that was October of 2006, um, and they have not been able to get rid of me yet. And uh, you know, I mean, it was that was in the days we were in a different part of the church where it wasn't intended to be um, a worship space. I mean, it was like a fellowship hall, you know, kind of thing. And like the lights were held up with duct tape and bubble gum, and the sound was <laughs> terrible. Um, but somehow we started squeezing in about eight or 900 young adults in this little room. Um, and pretty soon it was like, wow, I think we're going to have to have a different space to, um, to worship in. We don't have enough space. We did the TV thing outside and then the whole other part of, of the building was built and where we actually have Kairos now is able to house that many people. But, you know, initially I started attending because I was gone so much on the weekends. A Tuesday night Bible study was about the only time I could sit and just, enjoy church and not necessarily be a part of what was happening on stage. Um, and so, uh, and then I ended up being there anyway. So they, uh, that was 15 <laughs> years ago. I mean, it's, that's a long, it's a special, special place, but it's a long time ago too. So we actually yeah. have, we actually have some young adults here that were in school at Vanderbilt and went to Kairos and, you know, they've since moved here. And, but that's where I first heard about Kairos. And in fact, I like right there, I have the book. In real time, oh, yeah. by yeah. Mike Glenn. That's about that's about that. Nice. So, that's right. Um, yeah, I, like I didn't know. Yeah, no, seriously, that it's <laughs> it's always always there. Um, you can go back and look at the videos from last week. I'll prove it to you. Um, so that, no, that's awesome. And and just just quick side note. So my history. Uh, this is going to date me a little bit, but uh, you know, back in the late '90s and early 2000s, I was doing working centrifuge camps out of Lifeway. And so FFH, y'all were kind of like the soundtrack of our summer. Like I, I can, one of these yes. days was like your huge single <laughs> back then. And like, every time I hear that song or I think of, you know, those summers when I worked, I think of that song. 
and it was just kind of like the soundtrack of that time That's of my awesome. life. So um, it's, it's, it's really cool to be able to, to talk with you today and, and be here with you. So well, tell us a little bit more about Grace Upon Grace, because I, for me, um, it was, was a song, I, I think, at least the first time I remember hearing it was a few weeks ago when Charlie did it in our in our contemporary worship service. And the lyrics just kind of hit me because I was like, man, this is this is a beautifully written song. It's it's uh, so so rich in what the gospel is about. Uh, so and of course, we'll we'll share the lyrics on our in our show notes and uh, and link to the song. And of course, Charlie will close this out by doing a, a performance of it. But tell us more about the history of it, Michael, and, and you know, what kind of led to you writing it or inspired you, that, that sort of thing. Yeah, um, thanks for asking about it. First of all, it's it's a it's a, a privilege to be able to talk about it. I, you know, it was one of those songs that kind of was it, it snuck up on me. I think I, I was um, initially looking for songs for a, a service at Kairos um, that were confessional in nature. I feel like there's a lot of confessional worship songs that are I and me related. You know, me to God or I to God, but. But um, it wasn't a ton of them that we could sing corporately together. And uh, we were looking for a song that we could actually all sing sort of a confession together. And so I was having trouble finding it. So that's in the back of my brain. I have a writing appointment with a friend of mine named Jason Cox, who's an incredible songwriter. Um, and I was telling him about that. It's like, man, you know, I'm I, I, I sort of looking for this. And I, I don't know, maybe that's something we should write today. And uh, we actually wrote about three different versions of this song that day um, and wow. different melodies and um, same sort of idea or centerpiece in the song, but it was different melodies and a few different lyrics. And, um, and at the end of the day, we just felt like, man, we wanted to be confessional. And we also wanted to, to communicate this idea that um, we didn't necessarily do anything to deserve God's grace. But God's grace is an abundance to us, which is really sort of this irony that um, that sometimes I get lost in. You know, we had read John 1.16, that from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. And we'd read the commentary on that verse that specifically, I think it's Matthew Henry's commentary that talks about that the grace of God is like a wave that washes onto um, the sand or the shore or the beach. And just about the time you think you're going to see the sand underneath that big wave, another big wave comes in. And so it's mm -hmm. like this, uh, continual grace upon grace is, is overwhelming and overflowing. And so we thought, man, what um, what could we write as as a, a you know, sort of a picture for the whole church and the corporate church to sing? And that chorus came out like an ocean wave washing over me, you know. Uh, come and drown my shame in your oceans deep. And so we were like, wow, this is a, this feels like something that regardless of, of if anybody else was going to sing it or if anybody else liked it, this felt right for our worship service. Um, and so I remember, uh, I remember singing it and I, and I actually had the work takes from it, like all the different versions. And it's, it's usually me kind of singing it and uh, in, in the work take. And I was kind of like, I like this song. But I don't think I loved it. I don't know if you guys write songs like that sometimes when you're like, I, I like it. I don't know if it's like my best effort ever. For me, um, that would be sermons, but yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, you, you sometimes you can get in your head about those things. And um, and then I got together with Brooke Bolin and I was playing her um, some songs that, that, that I had written and I thought might work for 
or at least be in contention for a project. And she sort of put her finger on that one and goes, I, I resonate with this one. Uh, and I said, why don't you sing it? And the minute she sang it, I was like, oh, like, I think this song was meant for you to sort of be able to carry um, the message of the song because it, it became super special um, when she sang it. And so I, I think it's, you know, it's one of those songs that was sort of this development. I, I, you know, I, I would much rather prefer songs to come out to where they're like, oh, that's finished today. And it's like, this is great. And it's, you know, exactly what people need to hear. But there were like stages of it um, where I felt like, the congregation is going to uh, is going to be able to sort of sink their teeth into this song and not necessarily just listen um, to us sing it. So that's uh, it was one of those it was one of those uh, songs that I'm just sort of grateful to be a part of. There's also Romans five and the message. It it just talks about that sin didn't and doesn't have doesn't stand a chance in this address with this aggressive forgiveness we call grace because you put when it's sin versus grace. Grace wins hands down. And uh, I love that that particular um, scripture because I think it communicates this idea of like, man, there's, there's all this grace and compared to our sin, there's far more grace than there is sin. And that's, that's what I needed to say in that moment. Mm -hmm. And I love that you mentioned Romans 5 in the message because that honestly, um, I, I kept thinking about Romans when I was reading the lyrics to this. And I tell people all the time, Romans is one of those books a it's, it's a letter uh it, it can be confusing to read sometimes and then two or b it it can sometimes lose its power because i think it so often gets quoted par parts of it do that it's just very familiar so when you read it you're just kind of like you know i've heard this before and so i tell people all the time read the book of romans sit down and read it all in one sitting and read it in the message because the message is just new enough of a, of a translation or it's, it's a paraphrase that it sounds like something you've never read before. And when you read it all the way through one chapter one through 16, just the, the power of that writing from Paul mm -hmm. and the, the way the spirit, I mean, I can't, I can't do it without feeling moved in my heart still uh, when I do that, it's one of my favorite things to do when I feel like, you know, I really need the presence of God. Or I really need to hear from God. And I, I will go to Romans and I'll read through it in the message because it, it's just that powerful to me. Uh, so the fact that you you even said that was uh, just kind of confirmation because I just kept thinking about that as I read the lyrics. And, and like I said, when I heard Charlie do it, um, it just it really spoke to me. And I think you guys probably have this at, at Brentwood um, as well. You know, we we have it here. We sort of have a little bit of a the way we approach worship. Sometimes uh, we'll have we'll have some people that are that are fans of you know contemporary style and fans of traditional style, and uh, you know it's really easy to to really think the the one you prefer is better, yeah. and <laughs> those that like the other are, are you know just kind of mis uh, misinformed or uh, you know not as not as Christian as you are. So one of the things I really like about this song, and honestly, I think the the wave of worship songs that we've seen in the last several years is there is a richness to the lyrics. There is a richness to uh, the theology that they get into. And I always tell people, you know, if you don't think contemporary songs get into theology, uh, you haven't listened lately. And I think this is one of the ones that, that really communicate the the richness of grace and what that is about. And I'm a big fan of you know, both styles, you know, the, the end of Hamilton, uh, Aaron Burr, 
he says uh, the world was big enough for Hamilton and me, and he, he kind of confesses that. Spoiler alert: Hamilton's dead. Um, so <laughs> I think they're I think, all dead, John. I think that well, they are now. That's true. But but that's true for worship too. Like like God's big enough for us to have multiple styles. Um, our churches are big enough for us to sing uh, multiple styles and and to appreciate them both and appreciate them who who sing both and and worship in that way. So I think I think this song speaks to that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to turn over to Charlie for a second. Charlie, like, how does the song speak to you? Like, do you remember the first time you heard it or or when it really just became alive for you? Yeah, I I do remember the first time. It's a unique experience, my first time hearing it, because the first time that I heard it, it was through Planning Center to learn the song to sing it. <laughs> so um, I, I remember first hearing it when I think Brooke was the one that Michael had um scheduled for us to to lead brooke is another amazing worship leader and uh, joins us at kairos frequently and um i remember hearing it and just being like you were talking on something john i I like the direction that you were going about um it's one of those unspoken things about larger churches and especially in the baptist realm as well where we have so many members and i like to call seasoned saints that um really hang on to that traditional style of worship and a traditional way of church and there's nothing wrong with it at all and all you know all is a joyful noise but there's something about this song that when you get into that depth of theology but make it so basic and and simple and simple to sing which is kind of has like an asterisk beside it because I in fact have sang this song many times and Brooke makes it sound as if it's very very easy. It's Michael Boggs did not write a super easy melody. Just wanted you to know that, dude. <laughs> as a vocalist, it's it's simple and when you get it right, it sounds great and it sounds very easy, but it's 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 hard. Anyway, I say all that to say I'm getting off topic. Um what I like about what this song does in many is that it kind of begins to blend what a lot of us depict as two different um, worship styles. And when you get into that deep of doctrine and, and theology or even just really it's gospel. Like I don't even I don't like using those two words a lot, theology and doctrine, as much as I do about just the word and, and what the word of God is saying. Um when you blend the two in that way into that contemporary feel, which go and listen to Brook and Boggs version of this song, because it's it's the best that you'll ever hear anyone do, please. I'm actually um, going to put that on our on our Facebook page. I found yes, please the lyric do. video. I'm going to put that on there before we drop this. Good. Yes. Um, but I will say it's when when you do listen to it, you'll hear that the production is like super cool, super new, super poppy. It's they had a really great time. Did which by the way, who helped on production on that? Was that Cody? Did Cody do any of the production? He did, yeah. He's a great producer in in Nashville. Cody Fry's awesome. But I just that's what I love about this song and I could tell that when I first listened to it to sing. And um a lot of times when you're tasked as a worship leader, especially if you're, you're kind of like the hired gun worship leader and you're just incorporated in the team that week. You're really just looking to, at first, and first glance, like get your job done, make sure you know these songs, make sure that you understand the transition and kind of the vibe of which song is going into where. But there was something about this one that like, I was never able to really do that. I kind of was just, 
it moved me anytime that I was hearing it. And then I found out that it was, I mean, Boggs is one of the most modest people on earth. So then I didn't even know that it was really a Brooke and Boggs song until I'm like, I feel like that sounds like, that sounds like Brooke on the, on the MP3. And then it was kind of like a pulling teeth to get any more information about that. But yeah, it was, uh, it was moving to say the least the first time that I heard it. And since then it's, um, anytime that I have the privilege of leading it, I've, I've led it in a couple of a few different um, environments. Uh, Kairos Camp, we've done it a few times. In Kairos, we do it frequently. And then I've now I've brought it here to Huntsville. And you can just tell. I mean, it it just, it ushers the spirit into the room in a way that's very vulnerable and very um, almost revealing. And it's, it's as if it's a song that suggests the word back to people and saying, reminding people of a truth that maybe they've forgotten. And when you do that to a congregation, that's that's powerful, and that's essentially our job as worship leaders. That's that's how I see what my job is: is I am simply just reminding people who may have forgotten the truth and what is actually available to them through God. That's really it's really cool that that you guys picked up on that. I don't think I've ever said this like publicly, but I was reading a book at the time called uh, Practicing the Power of the Spirit by Sam Storms. And he makes a comment in one of the, the later chapters that um, the, about the different kinds of worship. And you sort of have this modern side over here and this classic or traditional side over here. But he started to get into a thing that somebody who prefers classic worship or traditional worship, the thing they fear the most is that God will not be revered as he is meant to be. Now, on the other side, the more modern, they fear that God won't be enjoyed as he is meant to be. And so the truth is we need both of those things. Exactly. And so how can you bring those together in this song? And so it was sort of a, an effort um, on mine and Jason's part in writing this. How do we marry the reverent with the I want to enjoy the Lord? So the fact you guys saw that is just a, a, an answer to, to our prayers that day. Really cool that you guys picked up on that. No, I succeeded, my friend. Good that job. is a great way to put that too, because that is one yeah. thing that I I think my generation has suffered from more than anything is is you know we grew up, you know I'm 41, so as as sort of contemporary worship was becoming a thing, you know once I got into college and seminary, I kind of saw that there was a a lack of understanding of the reverence for the Lord, like he is he is still the Lord, you know, and living in a land where we don't have a king, like we don't really associate. Like, you know, thank goodness for the Constitution, but it allows us to say things about our leaders that people living when the Bible was written couldn't say. And so they had a reverence for these titles like kings and lords and things like that. And I think we miss that in our culture. And I think you're right. I think this song kind of gets back to that, but in a style that um, can, can allow for uh, enjoyment of, of the Lord. And very much Christ Michael. And his love and his grace, too. Yeah. And Michael, very much to your point, I think. Even as Christians, you know, we can stand in our churches and say, well, our society is so polarized between different political sides. Um, but I think we do it just as much in our churches, whether it's our worship styles or even just the way we consider theology, right? There are a lot of Christians who will say, like, well, we want to emphasize the grace and the love of God. There are other groups of people who say, well, we want to emphasize, like, the justice and righteousness of God. And it's like, well, he's both. But if you focus too much on one or the other, you end up kind of getting a different God altogether, right? If you focus too much on our grace and love, gracious and loving God, you kind of miss out the fact that he's also just and he's righteous. Um, 
So the fact that you kind of came to that point, I think, is just, you know, hits it on the head. Yeah. Cool. I'm gonna I'm gonna uh, read the lyrics real quick because I don't I don't know. I mean, of course, we'll put them in the show notes, like I said. But I want to go through this and and just uh, ask you all, like, what? Uh, of course, you know, Michael alluded to some that inspired the writing of it, but I want to ask you guys kind of what scriptural passages or references kind of jump out at you or stick out at you or speak to you through this. So it starts out saying, I, I come with no defense, can't prove my innocence. My only hope remains grace upon grace. Can't pay for what I've done. My sin, I can't outrun. But your mercy made a way with grace upon grace. So like an ocean wave crashing over me, come and drown my shame in your mercy's deep. Oh, rid my soul of every guilty stain with grace upon grace. Oh, what a selfless trade, your blood for my mistake, my treason in exchange for grace upon grace. So like an ocean wave crashing over me, come and drown my shame in your mercy's deep. Oh, rid my soul of every guilty stain with grace upon grace. And it closes by saying, I surrender all with hands held high. I fall. I surrender all. Lord, my heart is yours. Take it and make it pure. Lord, my heart is yours. I surrender all. With hands held high, I fall. I surrender all. Lord, my heart is yours. And so for me, um, you know, we talked a little bit about Romans earlier, but the the passage that comes to mind for me um, when I think about this song, when I hear this song, in Romans chapter 7, Paul's getting into um, how do we how do we live with, you know, the fact that we still continually sin. And he gets into it, uh, and I'm going to read from the New Living Translation at verse 14. He says, so the trouble is not with the law, for it is spiritual and good. The trouble is with me, for I am all too human, a slave to sin. I don't really understand myself for what I want to, for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. Verse 18, he says, and I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. And in verse 21, I've discovered this principle of my life, that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart, but there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death. Thank God the answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. And I think this verse to me speaks to this passage where, where Paul's wrestling with this idea of what do I do when I continually fall, when 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 there's an exchange that that I can't cover. And and he says basically like who's gonna save us from this this trap that I'm in? You know, and if Paul's there, we're all there because Paul's a little bit higher than than we are. And he says, thanks be to God. The answer is in Jesus Christ. And and to me, that's that picture, getting back to what you talked about, Michael, of grace upon grace, of of the wave coming in and crashing on the shore. And just as it's going back, another one comes in and covers it. It's such a beautiful metaphor. And I love that idea. And so for me, that's sort of the scripture that jumps out that, that um, you know, when I, when I heard this song, I, I just, I was thinking of that. I was thinking of this confession of Paul. So um, I don't, Sam, I don't know if Charlie, Sam and Charlie, I don't know if y'all had uh, anything that jumped out at you or spoke to you from this. Yeah, I do. Um, I mean, just kind of listening and reading through the lyrics. One of the things that um, really grabs my attention and um, 
is, is the story of Jacob in the book of Genesis, right? Mm-hmm. Jacob betrays Esau. He gets the father's blessing. Esau's like, I'm going to kill you. And so he goes running for his life into the middle of nowhere so much that, right, he's, he doesn't have a tent. He doesn't have anything else. He is literally running from his sin in the wilderness, in the emptiness. He has nothing. He sleeps by laying down his head on a rock. Um, and I think, you know, even though that story kind of does change, right, it, it changes into him being renamed Israel and becoming the father of nations, the father of the people of God, um, that despite this falling out, despite these things that should have made him a cast, cast away from his family, um, you know, God is still redeemed, he still redeemed him and still used him for God's purposes, right? Because it's not about what we do. It's about what God decides to do. It's about God's will. It goes back to even Romans, I think it's 10. I touched on it last week. You know, God chooses to do what God chooses to do, and God wills what he wills. Um, it's not what we do. It's not what we've been able to do. It's not what we've earned. Um, you know, uh, the fathers of our faith were often chosen while they were still in the womb, so much so that they didn't have an opportunity on this earth to earn God's blessing. Um, so that's a lot that encapsulates a lot of what I was thinking about as we were listening and reading to the lyrics you were reading, John. Yeah, I agree. And I I really just think you guys covered it. I mean, it's, um, I definitely look at it more from the perspective of, um, how do I say this without getting fired? Um, <laughs> as worship leaders, one thing that I find is, um, time management is huge for everybody, but at least in my season right now, I, um, and thankfully with the help of Boggs, um, for those listening, Boggs is an incredible spiritual leader as well. And one of the, one of the things that was, um, made a practice and a habit for me in the worship leading space was ushered into my life by Boggs. And, um, when, whenever we're leading worship at Kairos, we, um, sit down together and make a point. We we meet and rehearse at a specific time that some may think is rather early in comparison to the service time, but it's to enable us to have a little gap to sit down together and go over the word. And Chris Brooks, our young adult pastor at Kairos, he'll sit down with us and um, we actually get to discuss really what's what he's going to be preaching that night and how it relates to scripture, but most importantly, how it's relating to our lives and what's going on. And so I say all that to say, <laughs> as a big giant a holy excuse of why I really don't have a lot of um, specific scripture and and ties to this song, just because I see it so much more of a practice and and very important and often forgotten in the leader space to just really sit with it and just um, allow what God wants to tell you through the lyrics of this song that was written by somebody with that in mind um, just allowing God to speak through that. So that's really the perspective that I'm bringing. And obviously not, not as if it, um, cancels or, um, pushes out the, the meaning and the necessity for going back into scripture for that. Cause obviously the song does it, but you guys just happen to, you guys just happen to go ahead and cover that. So I, my perspective is definitely one that's more from really just hearing the song, uh, for what it is and, the um, experience of someone that has sat with it for a while now um, as a singer and a, just a listener of it just being incredible. And it's um, if you talk with me long enough, I can tell you and, and list off like a, a number of songs that like that one's ordained, that one's anointed, that one's ordained. that And this is on that list. It's just an anointed song. It's really 
difficult to sing it and there not be a an actual shift in the energy of a room. And it's um, as as when you're when you're in that kind of space and leading a congregation, often you get to kind of turn. I know that Michael Boggs knows exactly what I'm talking about, but it's almost as if you grow this this radar and you can kind of discern. And it's that's truly what it is. It's discernment of whether or not either you're you're doing your job or the I don't want to say production, but the the team that you've built to do the job of ushering in the spirit into a room to praise the Lord. You get to discern how well you're doing that or maybe a direction something's going. And it's just without fail. This song, you just kind of just have to sing it and it <laughs> you don't have to do anything. You don't have to do anything special. It's it is anointed. It's an anointed song. Yeah, I would definitely say. Oh, go ahead. Sam. Yeah, I, I was just going to say um, kind of changing feet a little bit earlier, John, you said that there's almost a resurgence of sorts with newer Christian music. Um, Michael, you are a living, breathing Christian composer, right? Um, just want to make sure so we have our baseline. <laughs> um, so one one thing that's kind of just stuck in my head for a long time, I remember hearing an interview from Bono, and I found the written form with HuffPost, um, and the, it was in 2016. And he said, um, he's kind of he was a little upset at the time with a lot of Christian artists because he felt like it, their music just wasn't real and it just wasn't authentic and it just wasn't meaningful. Um, kind of in a two-parter, uh, would you agree with him, disagree? And do you feel like maybe things are, you know, making a change that you're almost seeing a revival of sorts within the Christian music sphere? Yeah, that's a great question. I could, I could, uh, we could talk about this topic for an hour. And I don't yeah, think I was covered. thinking that too. <laughs> uh, I'm not sure we cover all the things, but, uh, but I, I think there's, I think there's a couple of things to answer your first question. Um, I think that Christian music was something when it started to bubble up. And what I mean by Christian music is, is sort of this, this idea that now Christian songs are on radio and, uh, our congregations are hearing songs on the radio or Spotify or Apple Music before we ever sing in the church. Like that's a fairly new development in terms of the history of the church. Um, that that's pretty amazing. But what happens in that is that um, I think there are well-meaning people who run the Christian music industry who then try to figure out how do I package how do I package this music so that the masses can have access to it. And uh, I have found that there are ways to do that that are really healthy and helpful. And then there are ways in which um, I think some really good stuff gets watered down and it sort of becomes uh, bland or um, loses some of the, maybe the original intent of the song. So I think that in general, um, you know, I agree with Bono in a lot of in a lot of that sentiment but i don't think it's because we don't the church doesn't have something to say or christian composers um you know aren't as good as as other composers or songwriters or genres i think it's because sometimes we try to figure out how to make it applicable um to the masses and it loses its thing i also think second part um is that if we're not careful um especially in the national area, we're in danger of trading our priesthood for performers. Um, you know, there's a, uh, and, and this is sort of a nuanced thing, probably don't have time to go into all of it, but I, 
I think at the end of the day, even the, the, the Christian musicians and, and, and worship leaders in particular, I feel like our job is the job of a, of, a, of a priest. We do our mm-hmm. best to help people see that the presence of God is right there with them um, and remind them of the truths in scripture. But sometimes, and I think it's subtle and sometimes we do it unknowingly, we trade that for being able to sing a song for people. And that is not necessarily a bad thing, just not the role of the priest. And so um, I think that has also contributed sometimes to the blandness um, of, of some of the music out there. Um, on the flip side, um, I do see that there are places in which the Lord is speaking mightily through people. And I think that if we will listen to his voice and listen um, specifically to tune into his word, I think it will cause revival in us. I, I was mm. always really big on like, Lord, bring revival, bring revival. And uh, in prayer, and I felt like the Lord just said, I want to bring revival in you. Like, um, maybe you want the result of revival more than you want the actual revival itself. Mm. And wow. so I yeah. said, Lord, bring revival to me. Bring it to my heart. Bring it to my soul. Because um, you're the voice that we want to listen to anyway. And I need to be changed by you first before you might ever use me um, in the process of that. So, man, great questions. And I, I would have more to say about that. But that's my concise. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, all to say, I just, you know, I appreciate the song. It is a very honest um, approach, um, you know, recognizing our fallenness, but just also the depth of God's grace and love. Um, so just thinking back to that song, I'm, you know, this is a very honest and real song. It, you know, it's almost like a psalmist could have written in a form of like, God, I'm a sinner, but you are still greater than I, and you, you your depth abounds regardless. Yeah, I, I would, I would concur with Sam. Um, and man, I, you know, it's kind of getting late. I appreciate, I don't know how long Charlie told you we were going to have you, but we've had you for a while. Um, but I appreciate your time as we as we wrap up and just say, you know, last week the song we talked about was 1,400 years old. We couldn't have that guy on with us, but it's it's an honor and privilege to have you with us today. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Um, he reached out. But, he didn't get back. <laughs> but, um, man, really appreciate your time and, and joining us. And be on the lookout for this song in our First Fellowship service. I'm, I'm sure it's uh, it'll be in the rotation soon. And uh, in the meantime, Michael, come come visit us down in Huntsville sometime. Anytime you you have some time on your hands, uh, it's, it's a great town, particularly uh, when when there's not a worldwide pandemic, uh, as as I'm sure Nashville is too. Um, but yeah, man, come come see us sometime. And uh, and I will say, like, I'm thrilled we made it through this whole interview without me calling you Mitchell Boggs. Uh, I texted. I texted. You did to call you Peaches Lamonts. <laughs> yeah, that, that's. You were given good My information. God. You were given. We didn't have to Mi- on each other, so that's great. <laughs> yeah, no. Mitchell Boggs is a baseball player, and I kept like my whole like for three days. I've been like, don't say Mitchell Boggs. <laughs> and I knew I was going to do it, but I, I made it through. But like I said, man. So glad you joined us, and uh, as we, I hope we, hey, I hope we did justice to to the song that you wrote, and I hope we kind of explored it from all angles. But uh, it it really is a, a powerful song, and it has spoken to my life, and I appreciate uh, you know what you do um, to contribute to that, and uh, you know we're all wherever we are, we're all in this together to bring the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. So I appreciate yeah. your work there and, and your time today. Like I said, so as we uh, as we wrap up, we'll do another. Uh, performance by Charlie of this song 
grace upon grace.
是。